Welcome to the Project Unchained podcast, where my special guests and I help you break free from the chains that hold you back from life's greatest experiences. The goal of this podcast is to educate people on self-care modalities that can and will improve your life if you commit to doing them. An effective self-care regimen is the single most important thing that you can do for yourself to have a more extraordinary life experience. I'm your host, Ross Leppola, and I've spent the past several years of my life on a journey of healing and self-care after living my first 28 years chained down by my own limiting thoughts and beliefs. Now, I'm here to share what I've learned with you to empower you to break free from the chains that hold you back from your unlimited potential. Let's get unchained. When you were lost in the woods, you were misunderstood by everyone, everyone. You were searching for words, but they came out absurd. And no one heard you, no one heard you speak your We interrupt this show with a brief message. This podcast was created through a strong sense of belonging. A tremendous amount of personal growth has had to occur in order for me to be able to create the Project Unchained podcast, my gift to you. Being vulnerable is scary, and it's not something I've always been able to do. I've had to create confidence in myself and what I believed in. No one was going to do that for me. I had to do that for myself. And guess what? You can too. Creating self-confidence begins with a strong sense of belonging. You create belonging through internal validation. Well, how do you do that, you might ask? I got you. I've created this online self-development course that is designed specifically to help you build a strong sense of belonging within yourself. The ability to internally validate your existence, have the confidence you desire, and grow your self-worth that you never thought possible. The Belonging Blueprint is here to guide you every step of the way. To get more information and to enroll today, you can click the link in the show notes or message me directly. Now back to the show. Hey, what's up, my friends? Welcome back to the Project Unchained podcast. I'm your host, Ross Lepola. Today, I am excited to bring special guest Maggie Baugh on the show. I first learned about Maggie through the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. On their Instagram, they had posted a awareness walk in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and she was a musician that played there. And so I checked their music out and she has been on a journey of mental health. And I reached out to her to see if she'd like to be on the show. And so here we are. We sat down and recorded an episode. She shared some of her story and what music's done for her and some of the things that she's trying to do and share with the world and help shine a beacon of light in what can be a dark subject for us to talk about. So I'm really excited to sit down and chat with her and share her story with you all. So I'll stop rambling. Let's get into it. Without further ado, Maggie, y'all. Maggie Baugh, my friend, thank you so much for joining me today on the Project Unchained podcast. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that we got to schedule this. I am thrilled as well. It's definitely... I suppose a little bit outside my normal demographic. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of powerlifters on because I'm a competitive powerlifter. I've had one other Amazing. musician, my cousin Galen, who did the, I have her music as the intro and outro to the show. So it's great to Aww. dive in with another musician here today. 
Yeah, thanks so much. And I just want to give forewarning to the viewers or listeners. If I start coughing my lungs out, I am currently getting over a cold. So I <laughs> just apologies now. Right. So this isn't the normal singing tone voice that we have today. No, this isn't. I normally, no, my voice is way deeper normally. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> well, let's dive in today. How about we start with a little bit of an intro and who Maggie is, where you're from, what do you do, things of that nature. Yeah, so I'm uh, a country music singer, artist, multi-instrumentalist, entertainer, all of the above. I live in Nashville, um, but I'm actually originally from South Florida, Boca Raton, East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I started playing violin when I was six years old, so very, very young. Um, I started classical music, so I wasn't actually singing or songwriting until the age of 12. Um, and I started coming to Nashville around the age of 13, and... Um, Moved to Nashville when I was 18, and I'm 23, and I've been here ever since. Fantastic. Fantastic. And music has obviously played a, a critical role in your life with a bit of your background, a bit of your story. What? Uh, where do you want to start with that? How do you want to present that? Um, let's start. So I guess I'll go back to being in orchestra. So um, when I was, I would say... Going into middle school, I had to audition in order to get into, like, this fine arts program. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically, like, I went to school for orchestra, learned classical music, um, learned music theory. So um, it was a fine arts program you had to audition to get into. And right around the middle of seventh grade, I actually started getting bullied at school and harassed. And it was right around the day and age of social media. Um, so I know that, like, in the movies, when people get bullied, it's it's you know, you have that boundary of home being like a safety blanket. But unfortunately, like when in the day and age of social media and Snapchat and Instagram finally coming out, it's like we never really had that safety blanket. So we were getting bullied at school and at home. Um, And it actually almost took my own life because of it around the age of, I want to say like 11 and a half, 12 years old. Um, But I actually, because I was already around music, fell in love with writing and wrote my very first song on GarageBand, and that slowly turned into me learning how to use my words as a way of coping with what I was going through, and I got a guitar in my hands, and, and it kind of turned into, morphed me into being a songwriter, and I don't really think I knew what, what that looked like or what that was. I think I didn't really sing, you know, Shania Twain in a hairbrush growing up or Taylor Swift, you know? It was like, it genuinely was something to help me get through what I was going through. Um, which later led me to performing all around South Florida and some songwriter festivals um, to then getting a band together and performing and then turning into an artist. And, and yeah, and now the, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, there's a lot there to start trying to unpack and dive into. I know. Sorry. I'm a, I'm a talker, Ross. We're just going <laughs> to. <laughs> it's totally cool. That's what we're here for, right? I'm getting you sick through the phone. Damn it. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. <laughs> Um, so at age 12, you're, you're getting bullied and you don't quite Mm -hmm. have that escape and it it kind of follows you where, where it goes. It follows you where you go. Yeah. That was one of the things that always stood out to me. I'm a little bit older, so I didn't have social media at that time. So there was, I guess, a, a bit of an escape in that regard. But I know for me, it became like this self-talk. So it was more so that I would then also bully myself. And I like believed what people were saying to me and about me. And of course, at that age, you know, you don't really know yourself. So, you know, you constantly think, wait, am I this? Like, is that really what they think? And you start overthinking it yourself and then you become your own worst enemy. And you just don't know any better at that age. Right, right. Did you experience similar things? Did that follow you around like that in your own, your mind? 
absolutely. I would say, you know, you start believing it. And you're like, oh, I don't really have any friends. And then when you're getting bullied, at least the way that I did, they try to attack every single person around you. So then you feel very, very lonely. And, and at that age, you know, you really never want to talk to your parents about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I never really told my parents until... I would say until my grades started slipping, um, you could kind of see a pattern that I got bullied at lunch. So then afterwards, like all my classes after is like when my grades started slipping. Um, and then the school didn't do anything about it. They just called it girl drama because I was getting bullied by females. Um, and so they were extremely unhelpful. <laughs> and then all my friends, like I, I, my mom is, I love her to death, but me and her were not friends during that time. It was like, you know, we kept butting heads. I was like, you don't understand, you know, uh, but she is my best friend now. Um, but I'm really grateful I had that support system because I had her fighting for me at the school, um, which later led to me leaving, um, and going to a different middle school slash high school that was just absolutely fantastic. So a change in school and a change environment helped create a lot of shift around that and it didn't necessarily follow you. It did. It took a little bit to get there because halfway through seventh grade was when I was getting bullied. So once I started getting bullied, we had like six more months worth of school left. Um, and they just kept calling it girl drama. Um, it got so bad that I had to get a restraining order against one of the girls um, just because of the harassing. I think I got like 150 text messages within like 10 minutes or something like that of just like crazy stuff. Um, to then me having to leave because, I mean when a school calls it girl drama and they're not actually like focusing on the root of the problem, um, where the difference between bullying and drama, you know, there is a huge line between what the difference is. Um, yeah, my mom decided to pull me out. Where would you say that line is? Like where, when, when people just have a little bit of drama versus when it, it crosses that line. I would say, the repetitiveness. I mean, I think there is like, you know, in school, it's like, oh my gosh, like I want to date this guy, but he doesn't like me. He likes my friend. Like that's like, I guess normal, like middle school, high school drama. You know what I mean? I mean, we all have that. Like, oh, she didn't invite me to her party, you know, like things like that. But I would say when that, when it gets bullying is like when it's repetitive and it's like, absolutely like, I would say the line is like excluding someone from things purposefully, um, like a lot of them would tell my friends, a lot of my bullies especially would tell my friends not to sit with me at lunch anymore and they would physically move all of their belongings away from me. Um, so I would say that is kind of when the line is like when it's purposefully driven, um, and, and it's very repetitive and there's like a motive behind it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there's a very clear line of somebody wanting to knock you down and not just, of course. not just directly but also even indirectly through guiding trying to guide your friends to participate in that as well absolutely and i mean we all wanted to be popular back then we all wanted to fit in and of course like a lot of the people who were just followers were like okay yeah these are the cool girls obviously so i'm just gonna follow them to wherever their table is you know so i would say that it wasn't their fault. You know, I don't really think it was my friend's fault. I think they just wanted to fit in just like I wanted to fit in. Right. Um, but I just don't think at that age, you know, 12 years old, you don't even you don't even really understand what's going on until like, I wouldn't say too late, but until like something so awful happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a tough age to have that awareness of of what's going on and the social dynamics of it all. And it's definitely Absolutely. unfortunate when that level of pain and hurt and suffering is getting expressed in the world. 
Absolutely, it's horrible. I, I, I hate it so much, and I just, I wish schools would, I think they are now, for sure, in this day and age, they're really trying to attack the problem and get to the root of it and be a little bit more open, um, but back then, I, I really feel like schools just, like, weren't having it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know I definitely did not feel safe at my school for it, for a lot of it, especially in elementary. Elementary was the worst for me. It, it seemed to get a little better as I got older and got into sports. It, elementary was was the toughest for me. When it, it sounds like as you had a lot of those hard feelings and hard thoughts and you started to discover music, that was kind of a, the big thing. And, and songwriting was the big thing that allowed you to walk forward and, and move forward and process a lot of those things. Is that kind of how, how you would relate to it? describe it? I would say for sure. I mean, I needed something at the time to kind of get my words out and, and talking really just wasn't helpful. Um, especially at that age, like you said, like people just don't understand, like, especially with your parents and people who are a lot older and, and, uh, principals and teachers, you know, it's like I said, it was right at the day and age. It was like 2011, 2012 around that time. So that was like when Apple, I remember I got my very first, like, 3gs from apple like because i had a ride my middle school was very crazy i had a ride on a train in order to get to middle school like 45 minutes to an hour train ride um because it was so far away but the school had that so there was like 300 kids like on on the train um so because i rode that my parents got me my first cell phone and it was right when like the day and age like snapchat and uh, apple was like developing you know um, so I would say it was so hard to communicate, like, yeah, I'm getting Snapchatted videos and photos of, like, these horrible things that are, like, just, like, getting deleted at any given minute, you know? It's, like, how do you explain that to, like, an elderly person? My mom loses her phone, like, a hundred times a day. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, like, you just, it's really, really hard to prove it, and it's really, really hard to, like, let them understand and let them in when it's just not their generation. Right. Yeah, that definitely adds another layer to it. One of the ways that I kind of relate to the idea of songwriting, because I'm, I'm definitely, I'm not a songwriter. My musical talents and abilities are below zero. Oh, stop. <laughs> um, but journaling has been a huge thing for me. And the yeah. way I look at it, it, it slows the things down. It slows the thoughts down so mm-hmm. that I can actually have some level of processing. And is that kind of what happens when you, when you write your music and you're able to absolutely i think it's just getting words out on a page you know like for me like i i process information a lot better when i when i read it versus when somebody tells it to me um so i think that's how journaling and songwriting i i believe that it kind of it started as poetry um Mm -hmm. but because i was around music already and i was um around pieces like orchestra and stuff i think i just like kind of fell into the category of music um and so i think it was just like a perfect combination of everything where it was like i was getting bullied and needed a way to get my thoughts out and um just listening to music you know and just being like oh i can do that and and, and kind of using it as a coping mechanism like i had no no intent in becoming a country artist so when did you start to have the awareness around that, that it was, that this was doing that, that it was being that coping mechanism for you and it was allowing you to process your thoughts and feelings and emotions in a, in a more healthy way than mm. wanting them to stop, wanting it to end? I would say when my, when I felt, I wouldn't say controlled because there's no really controlling emotions, you know what I mean? We're, we're freaking human. Right. Um, but I would say like... I, I don't know. I think, gosh, it was so long ago um, and I was so young, but I would say 
probably when I started feeling better and I started feeling okay. Uh, because I was like, man, I can do this. And, like, I'm writing songs and I'm playing guitar. Like, that's really cool. Like, no one around me plays guitar, you know? Like, there is that level of just, like, being like, oh, I'm doing something different, which is, like, really cool. Um, but I, maybe I would say around when I started feeling okay and I started feeling better, I was like, oh, this is helping. I don't really have a definitive answer. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no worries. No worries. I totally understand how a lot of this stuff is, I don't, not necessarily messy, but it's, yeah. not, it's not always so clearly delineated. And I think that's one of the things yeah. that can be so hard about a lot of this stuff for everybody is. Like we want things to be black and white. We want it to be so easy mm -hmm. and A and B and logical, but it's not. It's messy mm -mm. and there's gradients it to it. And it's just on a giant spectrum and there's places that exist all along that whole spectrum. And so trying to parse through a lot of that stuff mm -hmm. isn't always as easy and, and straightforward as I, I think what we'd like. Of course. And I think when people like who are in our position, who just like are trying to tell people that you're not alone, and there are ways of helping yourself. And there's, excuse me, a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I think that we kind of focus more on the positive rather than just like dwelling on the, on the horrible, horrible details that were in there. Especially for me, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm just like, instead of dwelling on like what happened and how horrible it was, I'm like, no, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Like, look, I am here because of it. And I'm, and I'm really grateful to be behind like these associations and these nonprofits and to be able to chat with people like you to like, let people know that like, this is what I did. And this is how I turned it into a, a, literally a career. Yeah. Um, so, of course, I wouldn't say I'm purposely trying to X out the bad, but it's like I, I'm also trying to focus because mental health is such a huge thing. And, and there's so many waves and different like spectrums of mental health, you know, and I feel like we also constantly go through it. But because we went through such a horrible, horrible time wanting to just end it all, it's a lot easier to be like, you know what? Like, I'm here. I got through that. So, like, what did I do? Here's how I can do it again. Yep, exactly. Have you ever read Victor Frankl's A Man's Search for Meaning? Okay. I like, excuse me, Lord. I like reading, so I have to read it. It's good. It, in in like a, a quick summary, the thing that I like about it that, that comes from what you just said that resonates with it is he talks about you, you don't need suffering to have meaning in your life. But if you are mm. suffering, you need to find the meaning behind the suffering. And that will be the thing that then allows you to move forward because it's there for a reason. Even though... When you're in the middle of it and you're in that suffering, mm. you kind of, you don't want it, right? You you want it to, to kind of just go away yeah. because it can, it can suck and it can be really painful, but there's a lot of really powerful things that we can gain and benefit from that. And that's where I know for myself, when I finally stopped ignoring it, because I used so many different things to just kind of ignore my problems for so many years that there was no resolution until I finally stopped mm. ignoring it and pulled it out and looked at it and examined it and would, became friends with it, with mm -hmm. all of myself. Yeah. Because it is a part of me. You can't get rid of it. And that was, that's, that's the big thing is like, what is the, what is the meaning behind that suffering? Why mm. have we gone through those experiences? Not let's get rid of the experience, but what did I learn? Mm. And what can I gain and benefit from that experience to be more powerful moving forward? And I think it's so great being able to do that because, I mean, I have, like, I'm a very emotional person. Like, I don't get angry. I don't yell. Like, I definitely am the kind of person where I express my emotions through 
being emotional and crying, you know, and just like, that's my body's release of, of emotions. And I think it's like what you said really resonated with me because I've had like multiple relationships, partners, people in the industry and, and just honestly people around me who, who kind of look at that and they're just like, well, you're an emotional wreck. I'm like, no, I'm just very in tune with my emotions. And I know that if I need to cry for an hour and then get my, my ass back up, back to work you know what that's what I got to do you know and I think there's no issue with doing that and I think that a lot of people need to be more in tune with their emotions and how they feel and just like let their body feel it and be like here's the root of the problem and and we're gonna feel it for a second and this is how we're gonna this is how we're gonna deal with it we're not gonna ignore it we're gonna let it happen and then we're just gonna get right back to what we were doing before (laughs) and I think it's just coming to terms with like that's okay yeah because for so long, I feel like I've been told that that's not okay. Because then I look like I'm unstable. And I was like, no, I just, this is how I feel for a second. I'm going to let it happen. Then I'm going to collect myself. And we're going to do exactly what we were doing beforehand. Yeah, I agree 100%. When we're having those moments and those times and we have whatever emotions going on inside of us, mm-hmm. whatever event it was that that was the catalyst to having those emotions. When we have them, we do need to express them. And, you know, there is, there is a line of trying to find the, the healthy expression versus an unhealthy expression and different things of that. Absolutely. There's a gradient there. But the thing that I think about and have learned from a lot of different places is when we don't express that motion, when we don't express that emotion, that's when we store it and hold on to it as stress and tension. And then when you start doing that, you're going to have a whole lot of stress (laughs) in your body and you're going to, and it can turn into something way more unhealthy. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You look at the, the top 10 leading reasons for death in the United States. And I think there's one of the 10 that is not going to be linked to chronic stress and mental health of some type. And that's Mm. car accidents, everything else. Wow. The vast majority of them, you can, there's plenty of data that links it all to lifestyle choices, stress, mental health, and well-being. Not, and mm-hmm. not just, not just suicide either with suicide being on there, but heart disease and things of that nature. That's, that's stress. Other coping, other coping, coping mechanisms turning into other things right. down the road yep. that are a cause of mental health and stress. Yep. So we have to be able to express it and not suppress it. Uh, the the thing I would I need that know. on a damn T-shirt. Express it, not don't suppress it. Yep. Suppression. Someone press that for me. Someone press the express, not. <laughs> yep. Suppression <laughs> is depression. Yeah, and that's real. I love that. Which that that I'm curious. So I've I've grown to this place in my life now where I have gotten as intentional, maybe not as intentional as I can, maybe I can be more intentional, but I've gotten really intentional about the things that I consume, particularly from an entertainment standpoint, because it used to be a major source of distraction for me. The TV was always on. And one of the biggest changes I ever made in my life was when I decided to cancel the cable TV and put that away and start reading books. If it doesn't expand my mind, I need to, you know, be put it away. I stopped playing video games. Two years ago, I stopped watching football. I used to watch every game all Sunday long. It was, it was a lot. I'm like, man, I have all these sources of entertainment and they're all just distracting me from being with myself, from being with my friends, from being with my family and different things of that nature. But not all entertainment is bad. Yeah. Uh, And so I, I realized that there's this spectrum 
again, the polarity of it. And so I'm curious with you being a musician and an entertainer and a mental health advocate, how do you walk that line of entertainment being something that adds value to your life or the other Mm. side of it where it distracts you from that tension, stress, and, and avoidance? Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to say that honestly, it is a daily struggle. (laughs) I think we all try to find that balance. I'm really impressed um, that you were able to kind of just cut it off. Um, I guess like it is, it is like a constant struggle, but like in a way where it's like being aware of it, you know what I mean? It's like, listen, I know that I probably spend too much time scrolling through social media. I think it's important to keep up with what's going on. Um, Of course, like a lot of my career is online and on social media. But it's finding that balance where, like you said, like, does it add value? Like, is me scrolling adding value or is it educating me? Right. Is Or is it not adding value and I'm just, like, getting sad and, and jealous about, like, what I see? Or or am, or is it being unhealthy, you know? So I think it's, it's constantly, like, a daily struggle because I feel like as humans, we constantly fe- feel like we're going to miss out on something and not be a part of something if we don't see it. Um, so I think it's, like, I've, on both sides, I've learned that, my time will come no matter what. And it's going to be okay if I see something that isn't necessarily like, I don't think is fair, quote unquote, you know, but also being like, I have also missed opportunities because I haven't been on my phone and I haven't responded quickly. So I think it's constantly finding, you know, that balance um, of what's really important and what's not important. And um, I love reading and I feel like I haven't gotten to do enough of it. Um, I really have always wanted to learn another language. So now at night, I'm trying to get better at not watching TV and not watching Netflix to shut my brain off. Um, and I actually downloaded Duolingo, and I think I'm on, like, two weeks of learning Spanish. Okay. Just for fun. Yeah. You know? So it's, I, think it's, I think it's, like, things like that where it's, like, yeah, phones are bad. But it's, like, but I'm also using my phone as an educational tool, you know? So right. I think it's just it's constantly finding that balance and checking in with yourself because what's too much for one person isn't necessarily too much for another. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Do you have any, like tricks that you use to help yourself you know (laughs) since a lot of the stuff that you do is is promoting your music and we Mm -hmm. social media is a great tool and outlet for that to be able to reach people i mean that you would have never likely been able to reach if it wouldn't have been for social media absolutely how do you what do you do to help it stay as a tool and not something to Mm. like be that distraction I think it's um, constantly reminding myself that there are things that we can change and there's things that we control and can control and there are things that we cannot. Like, for example, I can't control if a video goes viral or if it gets a bunch of comments or a bunch of likes, you know, I can't control that. But what I can control is making sure that I am showing up and I am posting on social media. Um, And I used to get so upset whenever I posted and posted and posted and just things, things weren't translating to the point where I wanted it. But I was like, but that is something I literally physically cannot control. (laughs) So I think it's, it's just a constant reminder, you know, I'm not perfect. I, I go through these cycles as well. And I think it's, it's doing it where it's like, I made the music, I made the content i showed up i did my job and i posted it it's like whatever happens from there is like not up to me but it's way easier said than done (laughs) for sure for sure definitely i've developed a a trick that i try to use and employ on myself i'm not always perfect at it either you know like you say it is it is is something that you have to work on all the time uh you know i do a lot of social media marketing for the coaching company that i work for so a lot of my work is on there as well. Online. The One of the kind of like rules that I have 
for myself that I, again, do my best to apply is when and if I go on there, it either, it has to be to do one of two things, one to share content or one to comment and engage. Likes aren't allowed. Mm -hmm. Like I literally have to comment. And if I, if I'm not finding something to comment on, I'm done. Put it away. Yeah. And Good for you. Like some of the people that I work with, I encourage them to do that and they find a lot more value in that too, because then you're actually using it to connect with people and not just get in, of this, course. Get in this mindless scrolling uh, pattern. You know, the thing that I found you from, again, with the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention and working with them, what was that like being able to perform their after having been through what you've gone through and be able to share your music and, and support other people in that kind of mm. environment? So the first time I ever performed with them was actually last year. I know it okay. kind of seems more about like more present right now. Um, I guess I, that's just because of my song coming out and, and me just like wanting to be more involved. But last year is actually when I got connected with them before my album was even a thought, you know, I just genuinely loved this, this, this um this organization and because of my story i just i really think it's important to have more advocacy in different in different areas i i can remember having these um these teachers and these people coming into schools like with 12 year olds talking about bullying and i'm like dude do you even have Snapchat? Do you even know what this is? You know, and I'm like 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 it's it's being like yeah, i turned into like an actuary. I'm like okay like how many people turn into an actuary like you know like I'm trying to find a way where it's like I can be more of the normal where it's like yeah I almost took my own life I'm very grateful that I didn't have an actual attempt and it's more mental health I think for the longest time I didn't think my story and my feelings were were good enough honestly because I didn't I wasn't hospitalized I didn't I didn't do a lot of the things that I guess like you see on tv um, and I never really thought that my story was was justified to be able to be an advocate for it. And it wasn't until last year when I actually started talking to one of the board members of the AFSP Tennessee branch, telling them about my story, um, that they were like, no, Maggie, like you're actually the 90 percent percentile of people who have the mental health and, and, and have gone through what you've gone through. You're actually the normal like they're like we don't a lot of people like I think there's like a percentage of people who actually have and and attempted but also um who have failed but it's like more about the mental health side of it even having those thoughts is more of the the bigger picture you know so for so long I just never thought that I was good enough to even talk about it you know I, I just felt like I couldn't connect but after speaking with Brenda, I was like, there, I'm actually more of the generation, the population than I thought. And I was like, wow, I never really realized that. Um, so to answer your question, I started performing at one of their events called Be the Light, which it was just a, um, like a charity event to raise awareness for the foundation. And, and it was, I was so full of emotions. It was insane. You know, that was my first time ever performing with them and seeing and seeing these people connect with the music and also them being grateful that I was there. But I was grateful that I was there. And I was like, wow, like I'm stepping into this zone where it's like, you know, in Nashville, you get this little bubble and you get mm -hmm. so like caught up in like 
in any industry, I guess, but more Nashville, like, you get caught up in, like, in numbers and, like, what's important and this and that and it's just, like, music and things, you know? It's, like, when I step into that world, it's, like, there are people fighting for their lives every single day and it's, like, and, and everything that I thought was important, like, really is not. It's minuscule. It's really not that important, you know? Like, if I decide to have my hair up in a post versus my hair down, you know? It's, like, right. stupid shit. <laughs> Sorry. And it's, like, and it's, like, you step into this role of, like, seeing people just being so grateful for an organization that is bigger than life and it's just fighting for their life and their mental health and really figuring out what's important is just so beautiful and I'm really grateful that I was able to be a part of it even this year performing at the walks having people show up for people who are not here anymore it's just so gorgeous and it's so beautiful and um, I'm really grateful that I was able to share my story and hopefully I'm able to touch someone who is struggling and show them that there is light at the end of the tunnel, but we're here together and we're going to get through it. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's that's really cool. I can relate to that. I very much struggled with the idea of I didn't go through enough what I went through just because I got called mm-hmm. some names doesn't mean that I endured enough. You know, I read stories and books on some other people and mm-hmm. uh, Life is Magic by John Durenbos was absolutely amazing. And I, I read that and I'm like, man, like that guy went through some serious shit. Yeah, that's how I feel. I was like, I had it easy. Like, right. what am I here for? You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was mind blowing. When I read his book, I, I literally cried the fir- through the first four chapters of how like sad of the things that he oh had gosh. to suffer and endure were. But here he he made this amazing life for himself. But then I started and I almost let a lot of that stuff keep me from doing this. And I mm-hmm. thought, you know, that's the, that's the sabotage. That's the self-sabotaging behavior. Yeah. That's the thing that I'm trying to break free from. That's the thing that I want to share with people on how to break free from. So I need to lean into <laughs> that myself. I need to lead by example. Absolutely. Let's go. And I started thinking about it like, man, I bet most people don't have the same story that John Durambos has. Most people don't have that fucking crazy of a story. Most people are yeah. likely going to be like me. And they need to hear that. Yeah. And so it's really cool Absolutely. to hear you say that from the organization <laughs> as well and hear them tell you that. Like, that's definitely, it's pretty neat to hear. Thank you. Yeah, honestly, it, it was it was a struggle to get over, to be able to be like, you know, like I, I did go through enough to be able to be an advocate. But, you know, I think it's human. It's like, it's like I'm complaining about it being too cold in my apartment. It's like, well, at least I have AC. Do you know what I mean? It's like one of those things where it's just like it's 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 all about how you approach it for sure. But it's like, but you you were put on this planet for a reason and you were here and you went through that for a reason. So, like, let's at least use it for good. Keeping your mouth shut isn't going to do anything. Right. And I think one of the important, I think a really important thing to connect with here in this thread is using that to propel yourself forward in a uplifting manner and not continuing to play it from the victim role because that is Mm -hmm. the major limitation and that is still wanting somebody else to do it for you. And at the end of the day, that's not possible. So we have to be able to step forward on ourselves under our own power. Absolutely. And I also like being in in the public eye. I never really wanted it to be from like a publicity standpoint either. I know that there's like a lot of artists and and celebrities who get behind things like that just for the publicity stunt. And I think I kind of had to sit with myself for a very long time and and be like how can I do this the right way where it's like I'm not 
doing it for the wrong reasons, you know, because I genuinely love the AFSB. I think the people on the board are fantastic. Um, I have been, like I said, even last year, it's more, it's more in the eye now because I'm, I'm teaming up with the foundation, but I just wanted to go. Like last year I was part of the walks and I was just there, you know, and I think that's what people I want to understand where it's like, I actually went through it. I have my story. I'm who I am now because of it. And I think it's really important to share. So I, I had to sit with myself for a long time to figure out like the best way and the right way to do it. Um, I'm very grateful that I haven't had those comments come to me, but you know, of course I feel like it's only a matter of time, but I, I just want people to know that like, I, I'm, I have a story. I am a survivor. Like this is, this is who I am literally because of it. Like the music saved my life. And if, if I can touch one person and save one person's life, then I did my job. Yeah. I hear that. I like to a lot of times look at this as I'm a gardener. <laughs> I I can't change anybody. I can't force change. All I can do is come on here and have conversations and be vulnerable and mm-hmm. and plant seeds of ideas and trust that the those seeds that I'm planting eventually they'll get the right amount of water, the right amount of sunlight and they'll germinate and they'll sprout and they'll grow. Exactly. But I can't force that to other people. They have to eventually connect with it. And that's why I say too, when we were Absolutely. chatting before we got on here, like this idea of, you know, that day I got hit with the, I call it my baseball bat of anxiety. When I had that moment of self-realization that here I am carrying all this stuff around with me for all these years, I have to learn to set them down. And that was that seed mm-hmm. that was finally some seed sprouted a, a seed of change sprouted. Finally. I love that. And speaking of being vulnerable, you mentioned, well, maybe you didn't mention, maybe I read it somewhere. I can't remember where I found it, but <laughs> it, it, it had mentioned you bringing more vulnerability into your music and you had had it socially before, like you'd been open on your social media, but this is some of the, your newer music with Dear Me and, and mm-hmm. some of the other stuff in your album is the first time that you brought more of that vulnerable side, more that nature through in your music. I have grown to absolutely love the healing and restorative powers of vulnerability. So what has that been like for you in bringing that vulnerability through in your music? I would say I've written some of my favorite songs I've ever written being 100% me and sharing my story, you know, not just my mental health story with Dear Me, uh, because that song was so difficult and hard to write. I remember trying to sit in front of my mirror doing it myself. And then finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell myself I'm not strong enough not in a bad way. I'm not strong enough to write it. Um, doesn't mean it won't happen. You know, I think I just need the music healing powers and the, and the writers whose sole job is to literally bring an artist story to life. I brought it to two of my favorite writers, Elena Jones and Tyler Bank. They're amazing. They literally just let me cry and talk and, and, and just express how I was feeling that day. Um, because I wasn't strong enough to do it myself, which there is nothing wrong with being honest about that and being like, you know what, I'm not strong enough to do this by myself. People's sole job is like EMTs, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's like people who like break their leg, you're not strong enough to heal it by yourself. So we go to a hospital, you know, there doesn't make you any less strong. Um, so I was really grateful to be able to do that and bring my mental health story in, um, to that right. But there are so many other songs on my album like the other side, um, which I wrote about my mom from my mom's perspective. For my mom from my mom's perspective. So I moved to Nashville about five years ago by myself. My parents are still down in South Florida, my hometown. 
um, last year, it was kind of like a bittersweet moment. You know, last year, the day before Christmas Eve, well, back up. I have never missed a Christmas or a Thanksgiving ever in my life. Even moving here, I promise I'm going down there for like a week. Every time, you know? Right. And um, last year, I was actually supposed to perform at the Ryman Auditorium the day before Christmas Eve. That was December 23rd. And then December 26th, the day after Christmas, I was supposed to fly out to go on tour with them in Texas. And I was 100% okay with making it work and figuring it out. But it was still really, really tough because... Well, fast forward, the show got canceled because of snowstorm. <laughs> but either way, it was like, I'm performing at the Ryman. You know what I mean? It's a huge deal. And then I'm going on tour. Like, I'm following my dreams. But it was a bittersweet moment because I was so upset. Like, I had to fly down on Christmas Eve. So when you listen to the second verse talking about I moved, I moved away from home. Like, this would be my first holiday. Like, not really there. Um, um, I heard you're flying down on Christmas Eve. Do you got to go back? Can you stay all week? Like I was literally flying home on Christmas Eve to stay Christmas Eve night, Christmas. And then the day after I was flying out again. So I would say that was like a really hard, vulnerable moment for me to be able to write because it was still so real. Like I felt so guilty that I wasn't going to be there. But I mean, at the end of the day, I'm following my dreams and doing what I've always wanted. So it's kind of like, you know, a bittersweet moment there. Um, so that is a big vulnerable moment for me too, writing that song um but I feel like every single song on there has has some sort of vulnerability or or real story of mine within the lyrics and what do you experience when you express yourself in that way I would say it's a combination between a heck of a lot of emotions and like a release yeah. <laughs> like I said before like when I write things like that that are so real to me it always hits like this certain nerve where I'm just like I get like this I'm like oh my gosh and then I start like going like this with my hat and then I start blowing <laughs> my eyes out um but I don't I think it's just like a release of emotions yeah. like I'm you know I'm I go to therapy I'm still constantly talking about this with my therapist and like what's the difference between like feeling the emotion versus like releasing it does that make yeah. sense like there was no reason for me to cry about that story it happened five years ago you know like what the heck but it's like it's such a real thing that i feel like my body still holds on to it where i was mm -hmm. like you know i should have been there yeah. i should have been there but i but i was there i just wasn't there for as long as i wanted yeah. so it's kind of just like it was like a release of emotions but also kind of like reliving it at the same time i really like that you use that word release <laughs> like i when I get vulnerable, I experience the same thing. And I like to, I akin it to like setting down my baggage and so I don't have to carry yeah. it everywhere. Like there's no need to carry everything around with me. Then that's the, that's the way, like the, the literal way to just set it down and stop carrying around with me mm -hmm. lightens the load. And that's that release. That's how I feel. That was definitely that moment writing that song where it was like I was holding on to it, even though no one around me made me feel guilty. It was literally just me. I wanted to be, you know, I'm first. I'm the first uh, daughter, the first child of two two younger brothers, and I was like, you know, I'm I'm supposed to be there, but it was like no one else was making me feel like that except myself. <laughs> so it was like after writing it, I was like, here you go. This is the place. You know, this is we're gonna keep these emotions here in the writing room. You know, we got a beautiful song out of it. Right, and. Along those lines, too, of like your music and being vulnerable, Dear Me is, is your story. And mm -hmm. it sounds like it was really a tough thing to write. Like you had to have people help you like navigate the expression of yourself through that song, which is, you know, I think that speaks magnitudes to the difficulties of unpacking those things that were 
are that are going on in our minds. What was it like the first time you played that in front of a live crowd? Oh my gosh, I still choke up every single time I play that song. It's always in my head. I'm always like, okay, there's a lot of high notes. If I start crying now, I'm not going to be able to reach those. So we're going to hold our shit together up until the last verse. And right at the end, where it says the last, the last line of the song is like, "Dear me, why are you so damn hard on yourself?" Like every single nine times out of ten, I cannot sing that line because I've already choked up and like started crying. So I would say it's constantly still like. A very real emotion yeah. for me um so i mean you know there are just some songs like that you listen to that make you cry every time and you're just like what the- why yep. <laughs> you know so i would say i have like yet to sing that song all the way through without bawling my eyes out but whatever <laughs> well i mean that i think that just speaks the magnitudes of the realness of it and that's absolutely like this isn't you know, we, 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 you made the comment about like, oh, my story, you know, it's not, it wasn't enough. It, you know, I didn't go through mm-hmm. enough. And like, we, I think sometimes when we talk like that and we say things like that, is we're, we're trying to, in a way, avoid the heaviness of it and mm-hmm. realizing or, or not wanting to admit that it's heavier than we can carry because we don't Absolutely. want to admit that weakness. Absolutely. And Dear Me is definitely more of like a mental health song. You know, I didn't really want it to be 100% about suicide. Um, the second verse definitely hits hints at it where it says like, why did you decide it was time to give up, give it up? Um, was the breaking point when it all became a little too much to handle alone? That kind of hints at it where it was like literally physically I had to just give up. I'm done, you know, end it. But um, at the same time, it was like give, giving up like whatever you were doing, kind of getting frustrated and being like, I'm done. Like, I hate myself. Like, here we go. I'm like giving this up. Like, I'm going to go do something else. Right. Kind of like on the scale where it's like anybody can kind of interpret it how how they want it. Um, but I think the reason why it's home for me is because, yeah, it's about my mental health story, about my suicide story. But at the same time, it's like, like I said before, mental health is like an everyday thing. We have good days. We have bad days. You know, there's there's no like right answer to it and i think it's like when i say like dear me why are you so damn hard on yourself it's like i am my worst critic you know so some days it kind of might resonate with me where it's just like i just didn't like what i saw in the mirror or it was like i had a bad show so like i'm like man it's my fault you know um so i just i really want dear me to kind of resonate with everybody about like on all sides and scales of your mental health story right yeah i can i can appreciate that for sure and that's it's Mm -hmm. difficult we are we can definitely be our own worst critic in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. But sometimes, honestly, like I am really grateful. One thing I'm learning in therapy where it's like, you should be more grateful about having a bad critic rather than not giving a shit. <laughs> like, I think that like having my worst critic and overthinking things has like made me more business savvy. It's definitely made me more um looking at the details and and not missing things that somebody else might have. Um, But it's, of course, it's like, man, there are some things where I should be like, you know what, this is something I physically cannot control. So we're going to just like let go of the reins. Um, So I'm honestly, I'm learning to love, learning to love the flaws and learning to love like the overthink, thunkness, thinkness. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you're learning to love like what makes you you. Because I don't think I would be anywhere where I'm at like independent, um, songwriter artist business savvy self without it right yeah i mean and you're still you said you were 23 right i'm 23 yeah, yeah. So i mean it's a daily struggle listen <laughs> right and you're you're still you're still 
I guess in that the earlier phases that I, I think about it in terms of like full like self discovery. So yeah. I think there's so many layers that are still yet to discover prior to like mm-hmm. man, I I'd even before I used to would say thirty, but now that I'm almost forty, I I'd say <laughs> forty because I'm still like there's still layers that I'm like, oh wow, okay, cool. Like now I know, know there's so many things to discover. And like eating Chick-fil-A too much. You're like, well, shouldn't have done that. I have discovered that I should not eat that four days in a row. Here we are. <laughs> I discovered a few years ago that I can't eat any fast food and it's been very good for my health. <laughs> Honestly, I need to get on that train. <laughs> you know what? If you give it up for six months, like make the discipline to just give it up for six months and you try it again after that time period, I can almost promise you, you will get sick. It's not going to work. See, I'm normally, I know you said you're a bodybuilder. I've been trying to get more into like the fitness and health aspect of things where it's like being like, I work out, you know, that's not like a problem. It's more of like getting the balance where it's like, I'm going to eat fast food today. And then I worked out. So technically it's like girl math. So technically (laughs) it's like, it's, it's not there because I burned the calories off, you know, but it's like, I feel so much better. Like there was like two months where I like didn't drink alcohol and I worked out every single day and I was like very conscious about what I put in my Mm -hmm. body and I felt amazing. And, and I think it's learning like what your body, like going back to mental health, where it was like when I was waking up with a routine and I was like conscious about what I ate and I was like very strict, it was weird. Like I was so much happier. I felt so much better about myself. I know a lot of people don't like routine, but I'm I'm such a stickler for routine. I like love it. And then there's some days I'm like, well, I woke up at 10, 10 a.m. this morning. Right. Whatever. Right. But yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how like little, little things like I read this book called Atomic Habits. Yep. How like literally putting a glass of water next to your table could literally just like change your life. Insane. Blows my mind. <laughs> yep. There's definitely, there's some good ones in there. Good nuggets of wisdoms in that book. All that physical stuff too, like in nutritional stuff, you, you talked about the mental side of it. It's work every day, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that I try to preach and promote through a lot of this work is it is, it is stuff. It is stuff that we have to constantly Life is a series of choices. Every single thing throughout the day, whether it, it sometimes it's serious, sometimes it's not serious. It could be whether you would you choose to eat for lunch, if it's Chick Fil A or if it's a uh, you know something homemade, whatever. But it's a mm-hmm. series of choices, so it's always going to be some degree of effort to absolutely work through the mental processes of making the choice, <coughs> making the choices. And everything at the end of the day then is going to be a reflection of your choices that you make along the way. Absolutely. And I think it's choices that also will make you happy where it's like, listen, if I eat Chick-fil-A one time a week and this is making me happy and I just really, really want it and I'm going to smile after I'm done eating that last chicken nugget, then whatever. You know what I mean? But it's kind of like when the mental, like I've noticed, especially like when I like restrict myself too much, then I get sad. I'm like, man, like all my friends are eating this and I'm eating a salad because like, I want to look pretty tomorrow. You know, it's kind of like, there's always like that balance of like when, when it's good for your mental health and like when it's not, but then there's also a balance, not eating Chick-fil-A a hundred times a week. Right. Right. <laughs> for sure. Life is a tr- balance. <laughs> so Maggie, I also want to be mindful of your time. I know you have a very busy schedule. On, on the next <laughs> several days and months to come as you are on the road promoting your your album. The, the thing that I like to end on is what your like go-to self-care tool is. What is that tool that helps keep you 
it wow. your best Let's self. Think. And I want to put an exclusion on there for you in particular. <laughs> it's it can't be music. Okay. My self care. I'm trying to think like what I what I've been doing this week. Like I've been in the process of moving, as you can see. There's shit everywhere. <laughs> um. So I'm trying to think like. Like when I'm at home, like I love cooking myself dinner and and doing like a face mask and like a face routine. And I don't think it's necessarily like the facial part of it itself. I think it's just doing a routine. Um, same with like waking up and 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 working out, like eating a healthy breakfast and working out. I think it's like routine based for sure, where it's like a series of steps that like make me happy. Um, so I guess I would have to say that, like, I feel my best when I work out and eat healthy and I feel my best when I know I've done all of my face routine at the end of the night. Like if I skip one of them, I'm like, I'm a crappy human, you know? (laughs) So it's like, I definitely think the routine for me, um, when I've like checked all the boxes off my like daily schedule, I would say. Yeah. I can relate to that. I get pretty, I don't just have like one, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like a series, you know, like shut your lights off, lock your door, um, take the trash out, make sure that all the dishes are in the dishwasher at the end of the night. It's like, so I don't feel like cluttered and like, it's, I don't know. I'm also OCD. So that does not help. Yeah. I I definitely get the structure idea that barring a, barring another long winded rant, it's just the, the structure (laughs) sets people up to make good choices. Right. And yes. that's what we were talking about a, a second ago was that series of choices. And when we have the structure in place, then that can be one of those things. And one of the ways to avoid temptation and avoid making poor choices that lead you down the road or path that maybe you don't want to go. And having that structure and routine in place can be really powerful and really beneficial. So I totally get it. I totally get it. For those that may not know who you are or where to find, where can people find you and look your music up, I definitely recommend it. Even full disclosure, I'm a metalhead, so I I don't <laughs> consciously choose to put country on, but I definitely listened to your entire album and I really enjoyed it. So, Aww, even even thanks. you metalhead, I usually write me a review. <laughs> yeah, metalhead. So you call yourself a metalhead? I'm a knucklehead. <laughs> Um, you can follow me anywhere. It's just Maggie Ball, B-A-U-G-H. Um, I'm on all the social media platforms. Just, uh, yeah, follow me. Let's let's hang out. Let's be friends. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. All right, Maggie, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you spending time with me today and chatting, and I really appreciate you putting yourself out there and sharing your story with the world and trying to be a beacon of light. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm I'm hope, hopeful that um, someone gets to resonate with what I've talked about this this whole 53 minutes. <laughs> yes, excellent. Thank you. Bye. Hold on. Thanks for joining Project Unchained today. It's important to note that I'm not a doctor nor a licensed therapist. I'm just a guy who is passionate about helping empower others to break free from their limiting thoughts and beliefs to have extraordinary life experiences. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That will ensure that this podcast can reach more people. We're more powerful together, so please do share this with others. I'm always happy to engage with you, so please do reach out via social media or email if you'd like to chat. A special thank you to my very talented cousin, Galen Lee, for the intro and outro music to this show. The song is Lost in the Woods from her 2018 album, Learning How to Stay. You can find Galen's albums on Bandcamp, Spotify, and ViolinScratches.com. Until next time, make your life experience extraordinary. Let's get unchained.
give yourself away.